Welcome to another episode of Reverse Ambition, a podcast that features those who take the leap of faith to follow their dreams and passion. My name is Kelsey Cooper, aka The Social Broker, and I got a very dynamic brother uh, on today's episode. He has over 10 years of banking, finance, and entrepreneurial experience, and he found an app called HBCU Change. Basically, the goal of this app is to raise $1 billion, that's B for billion, over the next five years. So here to talk about it, please welcome Xavier Peoples. What's up, brother? Hey, man. How you doing? Glad to be here. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for coming on here and sharing your journey. I love your ambition, $1 billion. I want to hear your story, brother. I want to hear how... First of all, I want to hear a little bit about your background and how you came up with this idea of HBCU change. So I usually start off by asking, you know, walk me through your journey by, you know, let, let us, letting my audience know where you grew up, you know, what, what you majored in, in college, what, you know, what college you went to. And we could go from there. Sounds like a plan? Sounds like a plan. So Xavier Peoples, CEO and founder of HBCU Change, I am a native of Atlanta, Georgia. Okay. Born and raised. Um, in, in college, I, I majored in finance. Mm-hmm. And I actually, I didn't go to HBCU. What? Yeah. Oh, we're going to talk about that a little bit. I'm gonna, I want to hear your story about that, but I'm going to let you talk. We're going back into how I came up with HBCU change. But um, I was an athlete coming out of high school, went to two schools, uh, Queens College in Charlotte, North Carolina and finished playing at the University of West Georgia here in, uh, in, in Carrollton, Georgia. What did you, what, what, uh, what kind of athlete? What, what sport? Basketball. Okay. So play. Point, point guard, two guard, what? Point guard, you know, you know, I tell people the truth. You know, some people are like, oh, I was the best thing going. And, and the truth is I was just good enough. <laughs> hey, hey, he played in college, man. You know, don't diminish that, brother. That's good enough. So, um, Definitely played play ball in college, but I've always had a passion for finance. Even mm. when I was in college, I interned at the Federal Reserve Bank here in Atlanta. And that kind of started my trajectory on, on the finance path in, in, in my career. Okay. So, okay. Major play ball in college, point guard, you know, the star player. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I you know, you, you it's a humble brag. I know you're trying to be humble right now, so I'm you know, bigging you up. Um, graduate from college, and what did you do after college? So, uh, my, my first job was at the Federal Reserve Bank, so I interned there. They hired me on. As a matter of fact, I didn't finish playing when I transferred to the uh, University of West Georgia because I got this internship mm. at the Reserve Bank. And I love the job so, so much. And at that point, you know, you're not going to the NBA. Like mm. in the morning, having someone run the crap out of you is not as appealing anymore. Mm. Like, you know, my dad had a lot of heavy influence on me. He said, hey, man, you know, you, you have a, a great opportunity to work at the Federal Reserve Bank. A lot of people don't have that opportunity. Maybe you should take this serious and lock in on that and see what comes from it. What did you what did you think when he said that? You know, did you take it? Did you I actually agree? You know, it was it was funny. So I didn't even know what the Federal Reserve was. <laughs> <laughs> hey, 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 listen. Well, I started, it's there, man. It was just crazy, right? 
Right. I was down at um, Georgia State here in Atlanta. So I used to throw parties in college. Oh, word. I was down at Georgia State here in Atlanta passing out flyers for a party. And I met a girl and she was telling me how she interned at the Federal Reserve. (laughs) (laughs) Randomly started talking. Wow. I can hook you up if you want to come intern too. I'm like, sure, let's do it. Wow. And so I go. It it was my first interview, like first real interview ever in my life. I walk in and there are like eight people sitting around the table interviewing me as an intern. As you can imagine, I was super nervous, super rough around the edges. I was just this kid from Atlanta Mm. from the hood. But they gave me an opportunity and they saw through the roughness and they just kind of helped mold me and polish me. And to this day, I give that group of people um, credit for molding me and, and making me into the man that I am today. Man, that's dope, bro. I mean, it's just like the universe was looking out for you. No question about it. You know what I'm saying? Not a lot of not a lot of uh, people have opportunities like that. I'm glad, you know, you knew what to do with it once you got it. Absolutely. Plus so your dad, plus your dad was looking out too, giving you some good sound advice. Gave gave me some great advice and, and I took that advice. And so locked in, took my internship serious to the point where there was a job that came open before I graduated from, from college. And the Federal Reserve is one of those type places where you go and you work and they just work there for 30 years and nobody. Mm. And so they thought so highly of me that they gave me a job even before I graduated. Wow. So you had a gig waiting for you? Wow. No, no question about it. And so, um, again, I feel like I'm indebted to those folks up there. Out. So how was your experience um, being that, you know, like you say, you don't didn't know what uh, the Federal Reserve was. You was rough around the edges. How was your experience? How did you dive into your new career and how did, were you able to kind of conquer that space and that, you know, opportunity? So the, the cool thing about it, um, I used to work in the uh, financial statistics department. That was the area that I interned in. Mm-hmm. And it was one of the few jobs that I've ever had where there's a correlation into the work that you do every day. And then you can directly see how it affects the world. Mm. we're doing a lot of research on what affects the monetary policy and help those individuals make those decisions right and so that work that i was doing every day i got to see that out in the world every single day and that was the coolest thing to me and working there wow so in terms of i mean you were i'm sure you were one of few people of color you know um how did go ahead no, I was going to say, ironically, being here in Atlanta, this place is like no other place in the world. And so at the Federal Reserve Bank, there are a lot of black people that work there. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. <Yeah>. Okay. <laughs> here, like, you know, professional black people, um, particularly in banking here in Atlanta, are there are abundance of individuals that work there. So um, at the Federal Reserve Bank, here in Atlanta. As a matter of fact, even right now to this day, the president of the Federal Reserve Bank here in Atlanta is a brother. Oh man, a lot of a lot of coming through with so many so many ways these days. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like with the elections, you know, now yeah. we got a brother of Federal Reserve. Yo, y'all, y'all, y'all flexing, right? Y'all flexing big time. 
no doubt about it. Yeah. So, so kind of it's kind of moving on, on from there. Um, I, I went I went to work for Wachovia. Mm. Oh wow! Kind of like these personal banker type, the guys who sit in the office um, inside the bank, but it had a twist to it. They were that's when they first started allowing those individuals in those offices to do investments, and that's what intrigued me the most about working there. And so I worked there for about three years, and I was doing investments on people's behalf. And then that's when, kind of in like 2008, 2009 mm-hmm. time frame, where the market as a whole crashed, right? My COVID so, crash. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Over your crash, everything crashed, right? <laughs> right. So I, I was out of a job, and then my now wife, um, who's a physician, she was doing her internship in Oakland, California. And I moved out there with her. And and from there, you know, that's when I, I, I would like to say I truly grew up because mm. being born and raised here in Atlanta all of my life, you know, I didn't know anything else. Mm. You know, Got out of your comfort zone, huh? Got out of my comfort zone. Like, literally, you know, I tell people this story all the time, and no one really believed me. Like, growing up where I grew up, and it's almost like you stay in your five and your 10 mile radius, but you go to the grocery store, you don't see anything but black people. Mm. You go to the you don't see anything but black people. I'm talking about no white people at all, right? Mm. And I didn't realize that I was in a bubble. Mm. I the world was all around the country so when i moved out to the bay atlanta sound like an hbcu yeah that's all hbcu so i moved out to the bay with my wife and then i I work in san francisco literally it freaked me out one day you know i got my headphones on and i look in front of me i look behind me i look to my left and i look to my right and i don't see a black person in sight And then I started playing this game every single day. Like I would count the number of black people I would see mm. on, the, on my picture, and it never exceeded five people. Wow. So were you longing? Were you longing for Atlanta, or you were like, you know what? It is what it is. I would fly home every month. Like mm. that's how home I was. Like even if it was for a weekend, I fly out on Friday and come back, catch the red eye, and come mm-hmm. back home Monday because that's how homesick I was. But I needed that experience to kind of grow up. I had my first child out there, mm. um, 11 years old. And, and that's what really molded me into becoming a true adult, if you will. Okay. So how is overall, you, you know, you became adult in San Fran. Um, how is that whole experience from a professional, um, you know, basis? So what's funny is, um, it was rough. You know, that was the first time in my life that I actually experienced overt racism. Mm. So remember, my, my story is I tell you that I lived in a bubble. So I work at the Federal Reserve. There are a lot of black people there. There are a lot of black people there who protect me, mm-hmm. kind of guide me, um, uh, mentor me, big brothers, big sisters. That's where your so tribe was. was. That's where your tribe yeah, was. That was my tribe, right? Mm-hmm. But then, um, also at Wachovia, a lot of black people who work with me as well. But then when I move out to San Francisco, this is a place where 
I'm the only person who looks like me, who talks like me, who walks like me. Mm. And then the people that I'm engaging with on a daily basis, they don't even come in contact with a person like me ever in their life at all, right? Mm -hmm. So they treat me as such. Mm -hmm. um, there are times where you, you get on an elevator. So I work for a bank, um, Union Bank of California, which is a, it's a Japanese-owned bank. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you know anything about San Francisco, Outside of China, they have the highest density of Chinese population um, in that in that city. Mm -hmm. And so in addition to white people, you have a lot of Chinese people. But when I would work, um, I'm trying to say this. I'm trying to be politically correct. Anyway, <laughs> Keep it 100, man. Keep it 100. Example would be a lot of the higher ups. In, in the bank were either from Japan or they were Chinese. But when you would get on the elevator with them, literally they would turn their face to walk. Wow. Right? Wow. Yeah, as, as a sign of as a sign of disrespect, right? Mm -hmm. Or uh, or I had a boss one time. So this is when my, my son was being born. And so we didn't know if it was a girl or a boy, but he asked me, he said if if, if it's a daughter, are you gonna name her Shaquisha? Right. This what? is a true story. Right hand to the sky. I'm not making this stuff up. So like this, uh, like, uh, but, it, but again, I'm telling you, like, this is the time in my life where I'm truly growing up because I'm out of this comfort zone here in Atlanta mm -hmm. and I'm like fighting mad and furious. And I got to learn how to deal with racism, deal with keeping a job and being stressed out day in and day out. Like, it, it was just a lot. And I really grew up during that time mm. And I, back on it. I wouldn't ch change it for anything in the world. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Wow. Um, that was a lot, brother. Yeah. 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 So we, so we bounced back. So my wife, she finishes her residency out there. We come back to Atlanta. So we're out there for about four and a half, five years, come back to, to Atlanta. And then I worked for this company by the name of Zurich where I was the regional finance director. Zurich is a big international insurance company. And um, I just ran the finance division of, of Zurich for, for the South here in the mm -hmm. States. And then fast forward, and this is kind of coming up on HBCU change. Fast forward, I had a buddy who was from New Jersey who moved to Atlanta and he worked for U.S. Trust, which is Bank of America's private wealth group. And so mm -hmm. he came he said, hey, I just moved to Atlanta. Can you help me find high net worth individuals so I can prospect them? Long story short, I'm a connector here in Atlanta. know quite a few people. Mm -hmm. I put them on a couple of people. He closed, he closed a deal or two. And his boss said, hey, I want to meet this guy. I think this guy would be a, a, a prime candidate to come and work in the high net worth space. All right. So, again, this just shows how life works. I know nothing about high net worth space, private banks, anything. And um, so I go meet the, meet his boss, who just so happened to be a brother, um, brother named Mark Adams. And he tells me, he says, listen, um, I want to give some young brothers the same opportunity that everyone else has. Dope. Because these individuals who are private wealth advisors, the potential for them to make hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars is, is unlimitless. And I want to give some young brothers these same opportunities. And I think you fit the mold of a brother who can be successful. Nice. And so 
I said, sure. So he hired me on, long story short, um, become very successful. And then we, we knock it out of the park um, as a team. And then I move over to where I am now, Capital Group. And Capital Group is the largest active money manager in the world. And because of that, we manage endowments and foundations for institutions of higher learning. Mm-hmm. And so we're sitting around in a conference room one day and we're talking about all of these colleges that we manage, very notable colleges. And I just asked a simple question, how many historically black colleges and universities do we manage? Wow. The is zero. Wow. So this is why we need this is why we need people in the room. This abs- is why abs- we need people in the room. Prime example. So literally, I, I get on a plane, fly all over the country just to talk to HBCUs about their endowments and foundations, let them know the research, the resources, the research and the relationships that we can help provide for them. And no matter what school I talk to, big or small, they stopped me in my tracks and said, Hey, Xavier, the research, the resources, the relationships that you have, that's all good. But we have a true issue engaging our alumni to consistently give back to the school. Mm. We can't solve for that. We can't even take advantage of the things that you are you are offering. Right. Mm. So it quickly went to from a what schools, what schools did you uh, visit that you got that, that feedback from? Um, I don't want to say it. OK. Yeah, keep it confidential is because I don't want to make it seem like uh, I'm alienating the school. So Mm -hmm. what I will say is it's an HBCU-wide problem or Mm -hmm. issue, if you will. And so that's why that's how HBCU change was birthed, because it went from my daytime job to a a passion project. And, And people say, well, Xavier, you didn't go to HBCU. Why are you so passionate about this? Right, right. I had that well, question to ask you, so I'm glad you're answering it. Well, what I'm what I'm passionate about is, are black institutions. So the black church, mm. black business, black schools. I'm black before I'm anything, and I understand the importance of HBCUs to the black ecosystem. To mm. the black and so if HBCUs fail, regardless of if I went to an HBCU or you or not, more than likely the person who opened up the door in front of me anyway went to an HBCU. And so uh-huh. I understand that that, that trailblazer blazer went to HBCU and I'm coming in behind them. So they're essential to everyone, no matter if you went to Facts. HBCU Facts. or not. So that's why it is a passion of mine to help these HBCUs out because we all depend and rely on all black institutions, whether it's HBCUs, churches, uh, black banks, Black businesses, whatever it is, it needs mm-hmm. to be an all-deck approach when it comes to making sure that these institutions survive. Mm. All right, yo, dope. I mean, I, you, I was going to ask you that question, and you you made a lot of sense. You know, black institution period is so important. So, like I say, it's a passion project uh, of yours. So, where did you start in terms of developing? Um, you know, what what why an app? You know. Ex- excellent question. So, Ben is though I'm talking to the schools. I'm, I'm hearing their pressure points. I'm hearing where the issues are. I came back home and I wanted to do a little research first, just to see, like, okay, well, what's really going on? So, I sent mm-hmm. out a survey to 5,000 HBCU alum, and I asked two simple questions: Why don't you give back to your school? 
why don't you get back to your school on a consistent basis? Mm. In my surprise, the number one answer was, we don't give back to our school because we've never been asked. Okay. Wow, really? Yep. And then also followed closely by, we don't give back to our school on a consistent basis because we don't feel that we can give an amount that will have an impact on the school. Mm. So I'm going to pause right there and say, you know, uh, Jeff Bezos's wife gives 150 million to five or 10 HBCUs. Robert Smith gives $40 million to Morehouse. And the story goes on and on and on and on and on. Mm -hmm. What I found is that those big donations have a double-edged sword. Yes, those five or 10 institutions, they get the funds. But a lot of the, the middle size to smaller schools, they often get overlooked. And then people think psych psychologically, hey, if I'm not cutting a $1,000 check or a $10,000 check, then my $5 a month, my $50 a month, my $100 a month is not having an impact on the school at all, which is the furthest from the truth because a lot of these schools have big alumni bases. And even if a portion of those alumni bases all were to pitch in every single month and give a certain amount, it would have a tremendous impact. Mm. And so what HBCU changes is ultimately group ec economics that has been the foundation of these school, giving the alumni and supporters skin in the game to consistently give back to their school without even thinking about it. Oh, okay. So, HBCU change. I don't know if you're familiar with a with an app by the name of Acorn, but Acorn basically rounds up your change from your daily transactions, and then it takes that change and it invests that change into the market. So, an mm. example: if you buy a cup of coffee for three dollars and fifty cents. It's going to round up to four dollars and that 50 cents is going to go into the market. And so I said to myself, with me being in the investment space, what if I can create an acorn for HBCUs where we do that exact same thing? Mm. Round up each transaction, three dollars and 50 cents, cup of coffee, that 50 cents goes to the HBCU of your choice. Now, on the surface, you say, Xavier, change, rounding up. I know I, your goal is a billion dollars. How is that going to? Up. get to this right right so, so check this out so on average the average person if they if they connect both their debit and their credit card to the app so with depending upon how many transactions you have what we've seen so far is if a person connects both the debit and credit card on the low side it could be about 54 dollars. on the high side 87 dollars a month so wow their minimum on each individual card is roughly about $27 a month, depending upon how um, how much that person uses their card on a monthly basis. Right. Let's take a school like Clark Atlanta and use the most conservative forecast. Clark Atlanta has 40,000 alumni. Okay. Mm -hmm. We only get a quarter of those people to sign up to, H to HBCU change, 10,000 people. That's 540,000 a month, $6 million a year. Wow that goes to Clark Atlanta University. Wow. And so that will have a tremendous impact on Clark Atlanta University. Clark Atlanta will have skin in the game because they will up the percentage of their alumni that gives back. And then furthermore, the biggest question that corporations and foundations have when they give these donations to these schools, they're gonna, the first question they're gonna ask is, what percentage of your alumni is giving back to the school? Law? True. And right. so, because through HBCU change, people are giving change. 
that ups the tick mark, which ultimately ups the percentage of the individuals that give back. And it increases that university's chances of getting a big donation from the corporation and so forth and so on. But our goal is we want to save ourselves. We don't even want to rely on these big corporations. Right, right. Alumni and the supporters to give to the point where whatever the big corporations decide they want to give the school, you're not relying on it. It's a bonus to what you're already doing because you're already mm-hmm. I, I like the uh, concept because you're donating, you're not even thinking about it, you know? So my question is, how do you get people to buy in? How do you get people like myself? I went to Howard to start to be introduced to the app and to buy into the app. How, how, what was your uh, strategy in doing so? So we, we have what we call a approach um, to, to marketing. And that is first and foremost, we do a trust campaign. So with which each school that, that we're working with, we get the president of each school to do a, a video announcing the partnership with HBCU change in that particular in- institution. Okay. Nice. Then we, we follow that up with an ambassador campaign. So we, we would get um, either celebrity alumni or popular alumni to talk about the importance of giving back to that particular institution and all HBCUs as a whole. Okay. Mm-hmm. Then we follow that up with overall targeting on social media, which mm-hmm. is very important. And then I think the most important piece is we come back in the end with a, a another video from the school president telling what the school has done with the funds that have been raised. Nice. HBCU change, because one thing that we've, received from that survey is a lot of people feel that when they give that the money is going into a black hole and they don't know how the school is benefiting um, from the funds that it, that has been raised. And so that's why that that last piece is very important that the president or someone important at the school comes back and say, with this money, we did this with this building, or we had this many professors, or we closed the, the deficit in this budget X, Y, and Z. And one, mm-hmm. two. Oh, nice. And thanking um, the alumni supporters for giving to the institution. Wow. So how many schools do you have on HBCU change so, so far? So all schools are on the platform. What we're doing is we're rolling out the schools in phases because we can't market all 103 schools at one time because some schools are going to get lost. So typically what we do is... Um, we, we roll out the schools in phases of 10. And what we do is we mix larger schools with mid-sized schools and small schools in each tranche. And then that way we focus our marketing efforts on each school. Right now we're in the middle of our third tranche. So, um, so far we've done just north of 20 schools. And so okay. we're rolling out the next 10 here in the next month. Okay, cool. How long, and how long you've been doing this? So we started um, September the 15th. Oh, I just started. Yeah, with our official uh, marketing campaign. But we, we've had so much traction so far. Um, it has been um, very successful uh, um, beyond my wildest dreams. Um, how has the pandemic um, impacted, you know, your operation and, you know? I think, um, I mean, at the end of the day, we're not a brick and mortar business. We're a technology business anyway. 
Mm-hmm. So, um, from a from a day to day perspective, it really hasn't impacted us at all. And as a matter of fact, I, I won't attribute this to the pandemic directly, but the, the George Floyd and, and the social justice. Mm, oh yes, yes. Your timing is impeccable, brother. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, it, it, it's been a highlighted focus on action steps, if you will, um, that could help us as a community, right? And so people have been HBCUs, like a lot of people didn't know what a HBCU was, meaning that the actual acronym HBCU, but right. more than ever, people know what HBCU is because being in debates, right. presidential debate, you know, people are talking about it day in and day out. And so like you say, we've been right on time. We've been working on this for over two years. And in that moment, just met up and, and boom. Mm. It's working. Mm. Now, I know you have a lot on your plate and you still have a full-time job. How right. is How are you managing, you know, both in terms of focusing on making sure HBCU chains scale, but you also got to maintain your, you know, clearly seem like a very high demanding um job how how is that going so i i, I do it two ways number one i have a, a dynamic assistant who, who nice who pretty much um runs everything and, and and makes sure that i'm on point but also i mean it, this is all about being organized right and so um my my daytime job is just that my daytime job mm-hmm. i get very little sleep at nighttime because mm-hmm. of my business but what I would also say is um, I figured out how to weave my, my daytime job into my passion, right? And it, and it all just works itself out. And so mm-hmm. I just don't feel, I don't feel overworked because. And, and you're a family man. <laughs> and, and, I'm a, and I'm a family man. Love my wife, love my kids. How many um, kids do you have? I have three kids, 11. Wow. Oh, you're good. Yeah. So, so, so I just, I just lock in, man. I just have the ability to um, compartmentalize and and, and focus where I need to focus when it's time to focus on those things. Right. Right. A couple more questions. I'm going to wrap it up. Um, What do you see? What's your projection for HBCU change? You said a billion dollars in five years Um, based on where things are now. How realistic is that goal? I think it's very realistic. So listen, people, first and foremost, what, what I'll say is this, all HBCUs combined endowments total $2.1 billion. Mm. Okay. I would, I, and, and you can probably Google this and I, and I don't know it um, right off hand, but I'm sure Harvard itself endowment is probably $300 billion by itself alone, mm-hmm. right? If you think about it, a billion dollar goal in five years for 103 schools is really not a, a huge goal. A billion dollars, it sounds big, but it's really not when you divide it amongst mm-hmm. three schools, okay? What, what I would say to you is, I believe that we can exceed that goal. Mm-hmm. And so, what we have to do is just get the awareness out out there and continue 
to get in front of people. That's why this podcast is very important to me, right? Right, right. They're gonna your listeners are gonna hear this and they're at least worst case scenario be aware of a of, change. Right. And what I'm hoping is that either upon listening to this that they would download the app. I don't care if I get one download, it is a success to me. Mm. But if they, they hear it here, hear it somewhere else and keep hearing it, they will understand that, hey, I need to download HBCU change to support my HBCU or any HBCU because it's important to the black ecosystem as a whole. You know, what? I, I meant to ask you this. Um, first of all, um, in terms of how would the app work? As you you know, as I make my my purchases on a day, do I have to log into the app and do my purchases through that, or how how does it work? No, so what you have is all right. So you have your funding source. So typically, your funding source is your checking account or your saving account. So okay, that's that's where the money comes out of, right? But then you connect your your debit card or your credit card to the app as well. Okay. What it does is it goes in, it sees your, your daily transactions, it, and then it totals them up. And then it takes that amount. Once it once that change totals $5, it deducts that amount out of your account once it hits $5. Oh, nice. That's nice. Awesome. Okay. I mean, it's similar to like a cash app, you know, in a lot of ways, you know, um, that's we use every day. And, and, uh, and that's, a, that's a great example. And then within the app, you see all of your transactions and then you see how it's tallying up to the $5 and then you would see um, the $5 deduction from HBCU change out of your checking account going to your school strike account. So wow. now, I want to make that point that HBCU change doesn't take possession of the money. The money goes directly to your school from mm. your, Oh wow. to your school. We're, we're just a conduit. Okay. That's right. I mean, that's, that's so important because integrity is, is so important and I'm glad no, that's clear because a lot of people were like, I don't know where it is, even though it's a little bit of change. Like, I don't know where this money is going, but if it's going directly to the schools, that's, that's, that's hot. Your school, your school taps in with, with their, what we call their Stripe account. And that money goes from that checking account to their, that's how it works. Okay, cool. Now we're, I mean, um, where can these folks find the app? Um, is it on every, Every platform. So you can go to the Apple store. You can go to the Android Google Play store, download the app and, and we're there and we're ready to receive you. Wow. Wow. Yo, man, yo, Xavier, this is dope. It's a, I think it's a very um, dynamic forward thinking concept. And I love it because um, I could be donating to Howard, which is my HBCU alone, without me even thinking about it. But I look at this app and I, oh snap! I donated a hundred dollars, uh, you know, this week or this month or whatever. So I love it. You know, it's kind of passes as uh, a passive way of donating to your um alma mater, HBCU alma mater. And Howard's the only school that we don't have on the app. They, they Word. Yeah, they, you know Howard, man, y'all, y'all. Oh, well, we getting all the money. That's why. <laughs> I think what the thing about Howard is um, Howard and, and a couple of other schools. First of all, you're right. You all get a lot of donations. And, yeah. And, but then also they're not early adopters of these type of things because so many people come and pitch them all the time. They want mm. to be real and if it really works before they take, take it on. And so 
what I would say is I think they eventually will come around because a lot of the other bigger HBCUs are on board. And so I, I anticipate that um, by the end of 2021, Howard would definitely be on the app before it's over. Right, right. All right. Last question. Um, actually, I think it's my last question. Um, what advice do you give anybody who have like these dynamic ideas, forward thinking ideas, especially ideas that will help their community um, in terms of what advice would you give them to kind of like executing it, getting it started, you know? My advice would be to do it because mm. what is a lot of people have great ideas and for some reason, they're afraid to fail and so they never move forward with it and so i think the most important step is the first step mm. just just do it just try never be afraid to fail um I, I tell people all the time like i didn't take any money for this you know mm. this is hundred fifty thousand dollars up out of my pocket whoa 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 whoa, 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 whoa. 150k 150 Wow. This is an expensive endeavor. And so um out of your pocket, no no crowd no crowdfunding, no nothing. This is I haven't taken a dollar from anybody. Wow. Yep. That's how much I believe in myself. That's how much I believe in my team. And that's how much I believe in black people and HBCUs. I believe that ultimately um it'll come back. So wow. I'm willing to bet on myself. Yo, <laughs> I tip my hat. I don't have a hat on, but I'm gonna tip it, brother. Like, I appreciate you, man. I, I mean, the culture needs to hear these stories because you know that's like altruism to the to the to the fullest. Like, you know, it's not even about you. It's about your culture. It's about your community, and, and somewhat paying it forward in terms of you know you were given opportunities, and now you're trying to provide opportunities for you know for others because raising these funds it'll allow these hbcus to do more you know especially for the community so man i appreciate you man thank you thank you all right man yo thank you once again um any last words before we wrap up last words that i have is follow us on instagram twitter facebook hbcu change and then please just download the app apple store Android, Google Play Store, download, 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 and then share it with someone as well. Bro, yo, man, thank you, brother. Yo, man, 150K just, just to, to develop this whole idea. And I commend you, man, because a lot of people have all these, you know, great ideas um, and they never really follow through with it because um, it costs so much. And also, it's a sacrifice. So I, mean, I definitely appreciate you. We appreciate you for doing this, man. Thank you. Thank you. All right, ladies and gentlemen, great story. Thank you guys for tuning in. And uh, until next time, this is Kelsey Cooper, social broker. Peace. What up? What up? What up? Thank you for listening to another episode of Reverse Ambition. I hope you enjoyed the conversation and got some inspiring nuggets. Before you go, though, please remember to subscribe so you'll be alerted when the next episode is dropped. You don't want to miss out. And remember, it's never too late to leave to follow your dream or your passion. Go always lead back. Live your life with no regrets. Until next time, my name is Kelsey Cooper, a.k.a. The Social Broker. Peace.